You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Welcome back to Cheney and Golic Jr. on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz filling in for Cheney and Golic Jr. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. All guests join us on the Shell Penzel Performance Line, including our next guest, ESPN NFL Ravens reporter, Jamison Hensley, with the latest on what's going down with Baltimore and Pittsburgh. Jamison, there were a lot of questions around this as some of these positive tests came up. But of all the weeks uh, for it to be the prime game on a Thanksgiving Thursday, uh, it probably took a lot to make this move. I'm assuming they're they're deeply concerned about even more of a spread than what we see now. Yeah, because uh, typically when they even have a, a high-risk close, close contact player identified, they need to quarantine for at least five days. Uh, and it appears from the timetable uh, they believe what they call the event of transmission uh, occurred on Sunday. So they won't know uh, how many people have been infected, who was their close contacts until Thursday. So uh, being that so much uncertainty with that, they couldn't play a game on Thursday. They feel like they can get a good handle of who can and who cannot safely play uh, this week as far as from the Ravens by Thursday, but they couldn't make it beforehand. So that's why that's kind of forced the, the NFL to postpone the game uh, to Sunday. But, uh, I mean, with the, the Ravens are just dealing with uh, one of the biggest outbreaks that we've seen all season. I mean, they, they, are, they have already now, for just this week, so the past three days, they have placed seven players on the reserve COVID list. That doesn't mean all seven have tested positive. Some have tested positive. Some have been close contacts. But you're also dealing with uh, – a coaching staff member, uh, a couple other support staff members. Uh, this has been widespread throughout the Ravens facility. Jameson, you just said that they believe that the event of transmission occurred on Sunday. Well, on Sunday they played the Titans. So how concerned should the yes. Titans be about any possible contact issues? I, be- I believe they feel it was more in the locker room uh, with, the, with the Ravens because uh, I think that's kind of where they have designated. Because if right now nobody from the Titans have even tested positive. So uh, there's no real concern. And if, if something would have happened, I think it, it would have kind of occurred by now. So uh, they have what they call this genome testing uh i mean but believe me it's it's way beyond anything that i I know uh but uh they they have they kind of feel like they have a handle of how this was transmitted who transmitted it uh and uh they they feel like by thursday they will know who should not and who should be playing against the pittsburgh steelers on sunday jameson hensley espn nfl ravens reporter with us here on chanae and golick jr If I'm being cynical and I'm looking on Sunday night when I think there were at least three different teams that reported players having tested positive, when did those tests occur? When did the results come back? Should they have been playing in the games they were in? Why is Sunday night or Monday morning a common time for these positive tests? And should we be a little more cynical about whether they're playing knowing that they've already tested positive? No, I don't think they would know because they don't. They, I mean, they're they're trying to limit this as much as possible. They they don't want this to be spread more than than they can. Uh, they have what they they call these point of contact testing on the game days. Uh, they try to find out as close to game time as possible. I mean, they, what they have to go with their tests, they get tested every single day, uh, and then the day before the game, uh, everybody must be tested. At least I know with the Ravens, they have to be tested by eight thirty in the morning because before they come back into a hotel and gather into one place, they want to make sure 
uh, they get those test results uh, and, and identify if anybody has tested positive. Then on the game, the, the day of the game, they have what they call the point of contact testing. They, that tries at least uh, as, as much as possible to identify if anybody is positive. It can't eliminate everybody, but they try to do their, their best on that. So, um, you know, it, we're just kind of getting to the point now where you look over at, across the country, it's spiking everywhere. Yeah, uh, the absolutely. NFL is not, yeah, the NFL is not in a bubble. I think honestly, and I don't, I don't think it will come to this and no one is ever, no one is asking me, but if they want to get the, the season done uh, and have the playoffs, uh, I think they need, each team needs to get into a bubble, put everybody into a, a, a team hotel, lock the doors, uh, for the next two months and see if they can get the season uh, back on track. So, Jameson, with that being said, given what you've seen and given your expertise on what the Ravens are dealing with right now at least, uh, what do you think the chances are that this game actually gets played? I think it does. I, I, I think they really do. They, they, they have, they'll have a good handle of who can play uh, by Thursday. And then Friday, um, the, you know, they can kind of – the Ravens are hoping – uh, they may be able to open up the facility on Friday, have a practice because right now uh, they the facility has been closed except for uh, Monday afternoon, and they had one walkthrough. Everything else has been kind of virtual. And I know the Tennessee Titans have kind of gone through the same thing one week where they didn't hardly practice at all for a week, but that's kind of what the Ravens are dealing with right now. Uh, they might get one practice in on Friday uh, before traveling to the, the Steelers on Saturday. So, yeah, the, the, the Ravens knew this week was going to be a challenge for any time you play the only undefeated team in the NFL. Uh, but right now, it's with, with the illness, they also have some injuries they're dealing with. Uh, for the Ravens, a, a lot of things I know they feel like – I know the Steelers are upset that the game got moved and uh, they, did, they feel like they haven't done anything wrong. Uh, but at least for the, for the Ravens, they know they have a, a big challenge uh, on the field and off the field. Absolutely. Hey, Jameson, thanks for the time. Appreciate it. Hey, thank you so much. Thanks, Jameson. NFL Ravens reporter Jameson Hensley with us there. Keep following him for the latest. Uh, We'll let you guys know what you described the rest of the Thanksgiving slate of games as. And we got some pictures of some struggle sides uh, that, (laughs) that, frankly, I found offensive. And I know we asked you for them, but you've taken it too far. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's Chene and Gola Jr., although it's really Spain and Fitz right now on ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus, Sirius XM Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. You're well, on Plus. Well, yeah, that's I'm true. I'm having technical difficulties, and I'm wearing a fire Golden Girls shirt just I do for have you, to give you credit. I wanted I, to thank you for being a friend. I mean, you, you are wearing a shirt that says squad and has Golden Girls <laughs> on it, which is one of the reasons, uh, one of the million reasons that uh, we're friends, right? Like, we, we have so much common taste. The minute I saw it, I was like, wait, uh, what shirt are you wearing? You said Golden Girls, and I, I love that. Thank you for being a friend. Very Absolutely. shirt. Uh, we are efforting a little bit of college football playoff uh, talk that we'll get from Reese Davis. In the meantime, we've been asking you on Twitter uh, to really to compare some of the worst to what we're going to get on Thursday, these two terrible football games in the Washington football team uh, and the Cowboys. And then you've also got uh, what the Texans and the Lions. Yep. Uh, so we have terrible games. So we asked you to compare it to terrible Thanksgiving sides. And Sarah, yep. uh, so far, Twitter so is winning. So good. Because, yeah, this this Pittsburgh and Ravens game was supposed to be the turkey. Now we got all some, some struggle sides. Uh, Wisco Disco 85 hit us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed to join Cheney and Gola Jr. Nation and wrote, it's like someone brought watery Kraft mac and cheese. And that is true. Like, you got to make your own on Thanksgiving and it can't be watery. Uh, J.A. Hikes 
Washington, Dallas is the dishes you have to do after the meal. Just let oh. them sit for a while. Maybe something more exciting will distract you from it. Um, at Mr. Schuler CMS had a, a cute little turkey gravy bowl, but when you pour it, it looks like the turkey's puking on your food. So that, okay. that also checks out. Just uh, keep them coming to us, obviously, yeah. although I'm, I immediately regret that we decided to send that out. It, it looks disgusting. All right. Yeah. One yeah. thing that did not look disgusting, it was beautiful, it was glorious, the first college football playoff rankings. We got it last night, and so we'll head over to the Shell Penzo performance line uh, now where we're joined by ESPN College Game Day host Reese Davis. Reese, thanks so much for the time. Happy Thanksgiving early, my friend. We appreciate you hanging out with, them, uh, with us. So, uh, the big surprise to many was last night that Clemson was ahead of Ohio State in the initial rankings. What did you make of their decision to do that? Um, I understood their reasoning. I don't necessarily agree with it in terms of I don't have it on, on my AP uh, voter ballot that way. But, you know, more games, better competition. Um, you know, so I, I understand and a double overtime loss without your starting, not only without your starting quarterback, but without a couple of your uh, primary guys in quarterback and defense and a couple of other important players. So not to take anything away from Notre Dame's win, which was outstanding, and they, they can beat Clemson at full strength. They're good enough to do so. But just in terms of the committee's rationale, I understood it, but that's not how I have it stacked up. Reese, BYU on the outside looking in, do you think the committee was fair in assessing them based on their schedule? I, I Again, and I'm not trying to dodge it. I understand it, but I disagree with it. Um, I think with this year, uh, if you're evaluating, you know, what the tape looks like and giving that, I mean, you should always give that a lot of credence, but if you're giving it a little more, um, I would have them certainly higher than 14th. Um, I'm not going to say it's unfair because I understand it because it's pretty, I mean, the committee members change, but it's pretty consistent with the way they've approached things in the past, the, uh, the previous committees in terms of if your schedule is subpar and BYU's is, through no fault of its own, they had six Power Five opponents on their pre-pandemic schedule. But, you know, what they've actually played this year is, you know, is not representative of a team that would be, you know, a, a top six, seven team. But I think their performance on the field is that. And I have them ranked around seven. I think four teams too low, but I, I understand, you know, I understand the rationale behind it at least. So with that being said, Reese, as we saw last night, you mentioned BYU's 14, but also Oregon's the highest-ranked Pac-12 team at 15. Now that the College Football Playoff Committee has spoken, does it put an extra pressure on BYU and the Pac-12 to find a way to play a game against each other for some credit? I, you know what, I think the problem here is that we've seen, at least initially, and I do think the committees in the past, and again pointing out that there are different members which would bring different sensibilities to this, but committees in the past have shown an appetite for reevaluating things, uh, and they may reevaluate BYU and come to a different conclusion. You know, maybe a closer look that changes the results or whatever. But um, I think the one thing you would look at there is what could they possibly do? It'd be a 14 against 15 or a 14 against a team ranked in the 20s, and I'm not sure that's going to carry the day and make a lot of difference. Reese Davis with us here on Chenay Angola Jr. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz filling in here on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. Uh, Cincy Temple canceled. Uh, I don't know how much of an effect that has, but uh, with the rest of the season ahead of them, what's a realistic chance that uh, number seven Cincy can make their way up? Do they need just actual chaos above them for that to happen? Uh, um, a small amount. I do think there is a path. <laughs> Baby chaos. They've, yeah, they've got you know they've got two games against Tulsa almost certainly left, 
And, you know, the Temple game's not wasn't going to help them. Temple has really struggled this year. But a couple of games against a good Tulsa team could help. Um, I think what they need to root for is for Alabama to get Florida out of the way, for Notre Dame to get Clemson out of the way, or for North Carolina to beat Notre Dame, and there will only be one ACC spot, one Big Ten spot. And then I think an undefeated Cincinnati team, if it looks impressive enough, uh, will have a winning case over Texas A&M. Now, I could be wrong, and I just to be totally transparent, I would probably pick A&M to win the game. But I think in this year, with the extenuating circumstances, that they might have a real shot at getting in under those circumstances. So, Reese Davis last night was giving us the college football playoff uh, ranking show. And afterwards, Michael Jr. and I, like the idiots we are, we did our digital show reacting to it. And uh, what I find interesting, Reese, is in the process of reacting, uh, over the course of 20 minutes, we had two different guests, Tom Luganbill and uh, Greg McElroy. And one, Luganbill came in and said, how could Georgia possibly be in the top 10? The next, Greg McElroy said, uh, Georgia, absolutely a top 10 team. I got two <laughs> smart guys looking at the same team trying to figure it out. So, Reese, what should I think of Georgia? Well, first of all, there you go. I mean, <laughs> that shows you what happens in the committee. And mm-hmm. you know, that's one of the things that bugs me about some of the reactions to it is it becomes a – a thing that I think is unfair of, you know, you don't agree with my perspective, therefore you're biased and don't watch games. You know, I, I hate that. It drives me insane. Different people can look at the same set of data and reach different conclusions. I don't think George is a top 10 team. Maybe with JT Daniels at quarterback in the next few weeks, I will change. I think they're a top, I think they're a top two or three defense, but their offense has been, you know, so bad. They lost decisively their two most important games. And while most teams would lose those games to Alabama and Florida, I think that, uh, you know, I think that I thought, I thought that was a little high. I thought Georgia was high, BYU was low. I know you can quibble over the head to head. They get Texas A&M credit for a head to head. They didn't do so with Iowa State. But for the most part, you know, I, th- those were the primary issues I had. But I, I would have Georgia a little bit lower. Because I don't think they're a complete team. I think they're, you know, they're really good on defense, and their offense obviously is just now starting to find its stride, perhaps, for J.T. Daniels. we got to let you go, but I really quickly, I, I can't let you go without asking how hyped you are to see where Northwestern was and their real shot at getting in. <laughs> the fighting Reese Davis is with right. my son and I. Just, my son and I have just finished a little Thanksgiving Eve batting practice here. He's wearing his fighting Reese Davis. <laughs> Oh, we lost him. Oh, oh we lost I, him. I wanted to hear about his fighting Reese Davis' shirt. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see if we can get one for everybody. But, there we go. All right. <laughs> you know, I think, uh, I, I think look, I think they're going to be undefeated going into the Big Ten championship game, but I think Ohio State is truly elite, stronger on offense. I favor Ohio State to win the game, but I think I think Northwestern will be on championship weekend. We'll be playing for a spot in the college football playoff. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. All of our guests join us on the Shell Penzo performance line. And Sarah, you know, it's funny because you and I spend so much time from 7 to 9 p.m., by the way, hanging out on ESPN Radio, hang out with us. You, you and I spend so much time in that area talking about college football and COVID and what, it, what it's doing to the NFL and what it's doing to the sports landscape in general. And then you have this, like, awakening moment that I think we had about a week ago when we realized, wait a minute, college basketball is still here and happening and now today college basketball is here right in front of us and 
I got to admit, it still feels strange. Like, to be sitting here wondering how they're going to play college football games this weekend, but at the same time talking about the launch of a new sport, this seems, Absolutely. It, it feels we weird. We might need some help to do it. Well, let's get some help now from ESPN College basketball analyst Myron Metcalf joining us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. Penzo synthetic motor oils are made from natural gas. Gives you unbeatable engine protection. The proof is in the Penzo based on sequence 4A wear test using SAE. 5W30. So, Myron, we talked to you recently, and I, I mean, I was a little shook after our conversation, realizing how much it has taken even to get to this point. So, how surprised are you right now that there are basketball games going on? Yeah, I mean, it, it's definitely surprising with all the chatter about maybe they're starting a later season. A lot of coaches advocate for that, and, uh, you know, to see them on the court. Last time they were on the court, I remember when COVID sort of canceled everything. So, uh, it's cool to see, I'll admit that. But I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And I think that's going to be the attitude throughout the entire season. It's great to see teams out there today. I don't know what to expect in the coming days because there have been so many cancellations. Myron, you did a fantastic job on ESPN Daily with Pablo Torre. One of the most interesting things that I think you talked about was the have and have-nots, the differences uh, for teams that are going to be greatly affected partly because of distance, somewhere like Hawaii, where do you just fly in and then stay somewhere for a long time? What about the testing required to fly into Hawaii to play there? And then teams that have a private jet and can get wherever they need to go. Are there certain programs that we normally see succeed that you think are at the biggest disadvantage this season? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot of those bubble schools that, you know, are usually right there on Selection Sunday from some of the non-Power 5 leagues where you go, okay, they're in the mix usually maybe for an at-large bid, but they just had a lot of disruption. Uh, New Mexico State is a good example. Uh, they had to move to Phoenix because you can't compete in New Mexico mm. right now. And I was talking to their coach, Chris Jansen. He was saying, I was just happy to get Netflix in my hotel room. And they're in Phoenix for the foreseeable future. They don't even have any games lined up. They're just hoping that somebody calls them and says they need an opponent because their opponent canceled. So they've left the state, and they're trying to figure it all out. Their families aren't with them. So you tell me how that group figures out the next couple of months. So I think there are situations like that uh, that are just going to put them at a disadvantage. I've talked to commissioners who are saying they don't know if they're going to be able to put on a conference tournament. What does that mean for the NCAA tournament? So if you don't have the resources that the Power 5 schools have, you're certainly at a disadvantage going forward. Myron, I want to follow up on that quickly just because one of the things we talked about months ago when it came to collegiate sports and COVID was a complete disruption of any pretense that these athletes are anything like other student athletes. Uh, When you're not even in the state that you go to school in, you don't have any games scheduled. You're just going to play whenever they come up. How does that even work in terms of pretending that those are students? And are there other programs where there's schools actually having class in person, but the students can't go and, and they just have to make up excuses as to why they, they still count as regular students? I mean, that's a good question. I, I think there are a number of programs on campus. The kids aren't on campus. I mean, a lot of college basketball teams started right now because they were hoping that kids wouldn't be on campus and they'd sort of mm-hmm. be alone. But the New Mexico situation is probably the most extreme. New Mexico State had to move to Phoenix. New Mexico moved to Texas because they cannot play basketball in that state. And you're right. I mean, what does it mean to be away from school for a month, two months? Who knows how long they'll be gone hoping to play a season. But these are the extremes that teams are going to to try to get some games in. It's crazy. I don't know how to say it. Myron, one of the things that's been reported is that they've lowered the minimum number of games to be played to qualify for the tournament to 13 uh, total, which is sort of already alarming. But it's not that simple, and you've done a great job breaking it down. Explain to everybody what it will actually take for a team to make the NCAA tournament this year. Yeah, so you have to play a minimum of 13 games. There are a lot of coaches aren't sure if they'll get there. 
The 14-day quarantine right now is the NCAA recommendation. recommendation. That could change. So you're talking about if you get three positive tests, one positive test, you shut down for 14 days. If you get three of those in the next couple of months, that's six, seven, eight, nine games you're going to miss. So unlike football where you can play without 20 guys, you can't do that in basketball. So that's the big concern. I talked to a coach who said just because of contact tracing, he has two starters who are coming off 35-day quarantines. He's got a third player who's coming off a 49-day quarantine. Like this is what college basketball is dealing with behind the scenes. NC Central is playing Iowa right now. NC Central has not practiced in 18 days. Like that's the stuff that's not being told. These teams aren't prepared. They want positive tests, and you stop everything. ESPN College Basketball Analyst Myron Metcalf with us here on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. It's Chanae Angola Jr., Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz filling in. Heard you talking about Luca Garza. I love that you said he's trying to bring back the sky hook. I will be <laughs> keeping an eye out for that move. Is he the best player in college basketball heading into this season as it starts today? Yeah, I mean, he's a force. You know, he averaged 24 games there last year. And, I mean, maybe he averages 30-plus. He wants to bring back the sky hook. I've never heard a college <laughs> athlete say – that they were breaking down film of Jack Sigma this summer, but he was. He's like an old-school dude, watching Kareem, watching all these other guys. He wants to bring it back, but he also wants to prove he can play in the NBA. I think that's his goal, too. He wants to prove that he's not sort of this big, big big-end center. He wants to prove that he's mobile and athletic and can compete in the NBA. I mean, that's the real question. Is he maybe the dominant player in college basketball? If you're an NBA fan, are you watching him thinking that he can be dominant in the NBA? You know, he's going to have to shoot well. You know, he's going to have to be a good defender, not just bigs. He's going to have to be able to switch. Uh, but I think he has a chance to play at the next level. He's so strong. He's such a hard worker. And I think he's more versatile than people realize. But that's the goal. But it's hard in the game when you don't really have centers anymore. You don't have true bigs anymore. So he's trying to shake that label a little bit. Myron, it's been a long time since we saw any of these teams play. And like you said, some Guys were back on campus in July, but the practices have been stunted. Is Gonzaga the number one team, and how are we even basing our guesses at the rankings of teams at this point? Uh, like most years, we just make it up, Sarah. We yeah, don't know what's perfect, going on. Perfect, great. We don't know yeah. what's going on. That's like our show every <laughs> we, night. Yeah. Yeah. We, we have no idea. I think Gonzaga's number one. Uh, they bring back some talented guys. Corey Kispert, they bring in this kid, Jalen Suggs, uh, out of Minneapolis, who's a really tough five star prospect. Like, I think Gonzaga's probably number one. I don't know how long that will last. I think you probably have 20 teams in college basketball that can win the national championship. And with all the chaos, who knows who's going to have the momentum even going into the tournament when we have the tournament, which I think will be in March, but you don't know. Well, I want to sit here and ask you 52 questions about what's going to make UNLV dominate again, Byron. But instead, I'm getting texts while I'm talking to you from multiple people that work for our company that are telling me that you started 0-4 in the fantasy football league around here and haven't lost a game since. So, Myron, what's the secret? Because I'm hearing that you had an abysmal draft, started off terrible, now you're killing everybody. Are you good at everything? (laughs) <laughs> well, the secret the secret is, Jason, to go against the grain. You can listen to those fantasy experts if you want to, but go with my method. Pick quarterbacks early, do everything you're not supposed to do, <laughs> and then that's how you go from 0-4 to 7-4. and Yes, I have the longest win streak in the ESPN Radio League. I am coming for the championship, and if I win – I will walk around with a belt whenever I'm back in Bristol, wow. no matter what anybody says. That's where I'm at. I mean, that that's it, it's inspiring. Uh, if anybody can walk <laughs> around campus with a swagger and a championship belt, it's Myron. So, Myron, we appreciate your time, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with us. 
Uh, thank you. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. The money's been flowing. Players have moved. The question is now that the dust is starting to settle from NBA free agency, what are we making of all of it? Who are the winners and losers? It's Cheney and Golik Jr. on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. Spain and Fitz filling in Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're presented by Progressive Insurance, and all of our guests join us on the Shell Penzo Performance Line. We'll go straight there. ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorst joining us there. Wendy, thanks so much for the time. Happy Thanksgiving uh, early, my friend. We appreciate you hanging out with us. So we were talking last night on Spain and Fitz about sort of the the way all of this came together for the NBA and in free agency. And I guess I don't know what I expected, but I, I for some reason I didn't expect the Lakers to go out and just dominate everybody <laughs> in free agency as well. Like, how have they made this happen? Well, I mean, I would think, you know, to me, the, the most important thing in free agency hasn't happened yet. That's what Giannis does. Um, but, you know, I think if you go back and look, whenever you put a team together with cap space, uh, whether that was the Miami Heat back in 2010, whether, um, uh, you know, it was the Golden State Warriors after they got Kevin Durant, you know, typically you need a year to be able to rebuild your team a little bit and, um and you, you get that second sort of wave of transactions. Um, the Miami Heat weren't, weren't champs until they went out and got uh, Shane Battier and Norris Cole, for example. Um, that's what was so remarkable about the Lakers winning the championship last year, is that I didn't think that they had the depth to do it. I thought that they needed another transaction cycle, let them spend their cap space on those guys, and then go add depth. And that's why that championship was – has put them in such great shape because now they get this year where they get their exceptions and they're able to use them on guys like Wesley Matthews, use them on guys um, like Montrez Harrell. And then, you know, if you're a championship level team, especially in the glamour market, you're going to do well usually on minimum contract guys, which they did with, with Marcus Saul. So some of it was just the cycle of team building. It just happens that they do it uh, walking around with their brand new gold trophy. Wendy, they've got that, true top two stars and now they have depth which makes it all the more important for other teams that want to contend to try to get as close to that as they can the bucks don't have a true number two um and and what they add in drew holiday is nice but i described it as uh you pay more than you should for the soda because you want the souvenir cup and the souvenir cup is of course Giannis. Uh, it's worth it to give up what you did for drew holiday if you get that otherwise you haven't really gotten that much better especially with the with the bogdan deal now uh, dissolving uh, do we have anything in terms of whispers coming out of Milwaukee about how the latest moves have affected or not Giannis's decision making? You know, uh, the Bucks have remained confident. I have to say this since since the day the season ended. Uh, you know, they weren't feeling great about everything at that time, but talk to those people. They're like, look, Giannis is not like Kevin Durant. Giannis is not like LeBron. This is a different guy. We believe he's all in with us. We believe he's going to stay, and they have consistently said that you know they sort of joke what are you guys going to talk about for the next year when Giannis resigns with us <laughs> um and I say let's find out <laughs> um but uh you know they you know they felt that they had to make an upgrade to Drew Bledsoe I'm sorry to Eric Bledsoe um <laughs> Drew and, Bledsoe um, would be interesting and Drew Bledsoe he gives them Good nothing, on the breakaway pass, yeah. nothing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, they, they felt like, you know, they were a 60-win team a couple of years in a row. They felt that was the, um, the, 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 the position that they had to make the upgrade on, and they went very aggressively with three first-round picks to go get Drew Holiday, and they feel that that is a, a major upgrade. Now, um, you know, 
do do I look at them and say, boy, look at that that team and look at what they have with the Lakers, and boy, all of a sudden I think Milwaukee is uh, is you know you know has stepped ahead. No, I don't. But you know, here's the thing: if Giannis um, recommits, if Giannis resigns, uh, whether it's you know this weekend or it's in two weeks, you know he has until December 21st. The Bucks get an A plus plus for this offseason. Not necessarily because I think that they made the greatest moves, but getting that player to stay with you, to give you runway, is as great of an accomplishment as a, as a, a team like the Bucks can have. They haven't been to the finals since 1974. You could make the argument that the most relevant thing that's happened in the Bucks franchise in the last 40 years is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar saying, I would like to be traded. Now you have the best player you've seen in four decades, you have him potentially saying, I want to stay here. To me, if, if, if that trade of, of Drew Holiday gets them Giannis to recommit, they are the overwhelming winners of the offseason. they got a lot of work to do, but that's what, you know, you know, the value of a superstar like that in today's NBA, that's what it is. We're talking to ESPN NBA insider Brian Windhorst. It's Cheney and Golick Jr., Spain and Fitz filling in. So stick there for a second. If he doesn't sign – uh, when we look back at this offseason, it's easy for us to say, why didn't the Bucks? But what should the Bucks have done if they wanted to be more aggressive? Well, I think, you know, getting Bogdanovich would have been uh, a double upgrade because if you look at uh, the kind of player he is, I don't know if the average NBA fan knows about this guy. And, you know, he wasn't a star in Sacramento, but he's got an incredible track record of being a clutch player in Europe. Um, whether it was with the, the national team in Serbia or his um, his uh, Euro teams, he pretty sure he led partisan Belgrade, a Serbian uh, a pro team, to a to a title in Europe, um, and he's been great for the Serbian national team. Like this is the type of guy that will come through in the playoffs. And if you go back and look, the Bucks just didn't have those types of players, and um, you know it's, you know Bledsoe is one of those guys who didn't. And you know you go back and look at Drew Holiday. Drew Holiday at times has been terrific in the playoffs. So their game plan is we wanted to go get some playoff difference makers who we think will be so much better for us, especially a guy like Holiday, who a couple years ago had sort of a legendary series shutting down Damian Lillard and leading the, the, uh, the Pelicans to an upset win in that series. And they were hoping to add those two guys. So I look at Holiday and say, boy, they really did a nice upgrade there. They should be really different in the playoffs. And then I, if it was Bogdanovich, I was like, wow, they would have had two. But now I'm like, well, they added a couple of role players. And so, you know, if, if, the, if, the, if the Bogdanovich thing had never been, you know, been leaked out there, had never been come to fruition, I think we'd look at everything about this Bucks offseason completely differently. But the stakes are so dramatic. And, you know, look, if you just go out there and look, you look what, what some of these teams have done, their moves have indicated that they are hedging. The way the Raptors, the way the, the Heat, the way the Knicks, the way the, the, the uh, Mavericks have operated this postseason, they're not 100% convinced Giannis is extending it. It's not just, you know, the big bad media out there who wants to see him uh, follow through with it. You guys can follow him on Twitter at Windhorse ESPN. Wendy, as always, we appreciate your time, my friend. Stay safe. Have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Thanks for hanging out with us. You guys, too. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, filling in for Chenea Golick Jr. on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. Fitz, my menchies are uh, a little bit of a tire fire right now because we didn't specify what the pies should be on the Thanksgiving pie debate, and I did not put sweet potato pie on there because I am 
transparently white, and I have never eaten a sweet potato pie, and I always forget they exist. Uh, people are not happy. Well, I mean, so, sweet potato pie is is fine. It's just take it out of the pie, and it's better. Like just sweet potatoes. Uh, yeah, just regular sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes. I think it's also a southern thing up yeah. up here in the Midwest. I don't, I don't see a lot of sweet potatoes. I just thought you know pecan or pecan. Is pecan, oh, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll agree pecan on pecan. We're not pie. savages here, but you're right. No, uh, that definitely sweet potato pie was like something that really, once I moved to the South, I was like, okay, this is a thing. We're yeah. doing this now. Now people okay. wanted, you know, banana and, and cream and everything. I'm sorry about the pies, guys, is what I'm, is what I'm saying here. My bad. Uh, <laughs> let's get into some of the NFL action uh, this weekend. It's a little something that they here on the Chenangolic Junior Show like to call end zone or friend zone. As millennials, one of the greatest triumphs in life is watching someone make it out of the friend zone. You're hoping, wishing. You're strategizing. And that's what we're going to try and do here this weekend. We want to get everyone ready for this weekend in the NFL. End zone or friend zone. Let you know who's going to end up in the friend zone or the end zone when it comes to this NFL Sunday. Friend zone to the end zone. I only had one uh, friend zone to end zone. It was a you know one of those things where they played some music and all of a sudden you look at them differently. You know how that works, Fitz. Oh, yeah. Well, I'm I am a little <laughs> curious. Like, <laughs> like I mean, Chene and Golo Jr. Last time I checked, close friends, both very single. So I'm not sure wow. what either of them You're know to about ship getting a radio out. Show? I mean, what what did they know about oh, getting oh, out of the friend together. zone? I'm just. Oof, I'm, I thought no. you were trying to put them together. I was like, Fitz, can we just first of all HR and secondly. Uh, we don't want to have anybody on the radio show shipping because if things go wrong, you're still hosted together. Yeah, no, no, no. I'm just saying wild. that what do they know about getting what from they know about, the friend zone right, to the end true. zone? Like, I mean, they're that's both, true. They're friend they're zone both experts consistently for sure. friend zoned. <laughs> now that we've trashed the host of the show, perfect. Let's get to football. Uh, let's start with the Chiefs at the Bucks. We just saw the Bucks suffer a disappointing loss. The Chiefs are rolling. Just got past your Raiders. Uh, the end zone candidates for me here are the quarterbacks in this game. And what stands out to me, and we talked about this on Spain and Fitz, is Tom Brady was that guy that when you had a couple minutes left and he gets the ball, you always say you left him too much time. We weren't saying that on Sunday because he's just not the same Tom Brady. That's not to say he can't still make plays that dazzle and can't lead the team to wins. But the playbook against the Bucks is pretty set. Get pressure on Brady and make him do things that he's maybe not capable of doing as much anymore. On the other hand, we're so used to Patrick Mahomes' greatness that he does what he did against your Raiders, and we're all like, "Yeah, that checks out." Like, no, we weren't we weren't losing our minds over that touchdown with you know whatever it was, twenty seconds to play with a wide open Kelsey. Yeah, there was a defensive issue there, but he also marched him down the field like he always does. And so, me, I'm end zoning Mahomes uh, in this one. Uh, these are just two two of the last three MVP quarterbacks, two of the last three players, uh, or two of the only three players in NFL history with 50 passing touchdowns in a season. This is a heavy-duty quarterback matchup. I, I don't know what ending of the game you were talking about. I don't remember it. You uh, we'll missed go it? With that. You missed uh, the end? Yeah. Let's just go with that. Alcohol is great. All right, so let's go to the friend zone side of this. And look, squarely in the friend zone, although I'm not sure they're friends all the time, I'm putting Byron Leftwich and Bruce Arians in mm. the friend zone in this entire process. And look, when the season started and uh, Brady had signed with the Buccaneers and everybody was asking about, you know, would he be able to do the, the big, long, dynamic offense of Bruce Arians? And I kept saying at the time, look, that, that sells Arians short. Like, he's a guru and he's a mastermind and he's going to rework his offense to tool it around what Brady does well. Well, 
that hasn't happened. And he can say all day long that, you know, Brady is a big part of, of the calls at the line of scrimmage. That's fine. But it feels like what you have is a little bit of contention between all of them, and it doesn't feel like they've really tailored their play calling to who Tom Brady is. So I find that the Buccaneers aren't maximizing whatever this version of Brady is. So I'm putting Arians and Leftwich squarely in the front in the friend zone, by the way. That's well, why the Chiefs are going to roll in this one. Yeah, after that game, uh, when people were comparing the Bucks' offense to the Bears, that was your sure sign that they belonged in the friend zone because the Bears' offense ain't getting no love either, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, we're moving on to the Titans at the Colts. Let's let you get in the end zone this time, Finn. Yeah, so, I mean, if we're going to start with end zones, uh, this is all about the AFC South uh, and, and really what's at stake here. And, frankly, this is sort of a revenge game for the Titans. I didn't expect them to get their butts whooped by the, the Colts, but they did a couple of weeks ago. Phillip Rivers is very hot and very cold at different times in the game. I feel like I was right that he's a, a problem, and then all of a sudden he's a problem in a good way, and the Colts find their way back in it. So for me, this is all about the end zone is all about the stakes here because as we've talked about so much on our show, the wild card battle is so packed in this. I expect the Titans to come out and really make a statement because if they don't, they're not going to be able to make up the ground with the tiebreaker also belonging to the Colts. I don't think that puts them in the right situation. I'm going to go ahead and friend zone Philip Rivers, who's getting a little long in the tooth and long in the bolero. And do you remember last year in the playoffs when uh, all of a sudden we saw uh, Josh McCown out there? And in the middle of the game, this 40-year-old quarterback, they said, oh, he injured himself. It looks like he took a bad step. And the internet exploded with people saying, only does somebody about 40 years and up know what it means to injure yourself just taking a bad step. Well, Philip Rivers hurt his toe uh, make it a block. Uh, potential toe injury. He's going to play. It's likely that he'll play. But the fact that he's old enough to injure a toe on a block and is more likely to have those uh, those bumps and bruises as he gets older and mistakes as he gets older, um, to me, that's a little bit of a friend zone situation. And I'm not even going to make the Mina Kimes face about Philip Rivers because I know what happens at this company. When you make the Philip Rivers face once, it comes back to haunt you over and over and over again. I'm staying away. Yeah, it was just on the screen for everybody there watching on Plus. <laughs> there you go. All right, let's go next to the Bears and Packers. We'll pick it up here. Uh, the ends on this one simple. It's Chicago's defense. They're absolutely incredible. Uh, every time I watch them, I wonder how they haven't won more games with the defensive stars and the defensive capability they have. So mm. uh, I'm all about this one being a matchup of good versus good so uh, I'm going to take that defense in the end zone as I said before and I will repeat myself but do it more promptly the Bears offense and the Bears quarterbacks are getting friend zoned we don't even know which one's going to start they're both hurt neither one spoke to the media and Vegas said we're not even going to wait to put the lineup on this game until we know who's starting it doesn't matter whether it's Foles or Trubisky they gonna lose so I'm friend zoning the Bears quarterbacks. I like that. We got one more. We'll get in here quick. Ravens, Steelers, we're presuming it's going to happen on Sunday. I'm end zoning Chase Claypool. This was supposed to be the best rookie class we've ever seen for wide receivers. And guess what? The guy not picked in the first round may be the best of them. So 10 touchdowns so mm. far this season. Absolutely incredible work by him. It's Chenangola Jr. on ESPN Radio, ESPN Plus, Sarah Spain and Jason Fitz filling in here. Uh, the friend zone here was supposed to be the end zone. This would have been a positive about this game tomorrow because we, as we said earlier, had uh, the turkey, the entree, the main dish was going to be this Steelers-Ravens game that now moved to Sunday. And according to Elias, the 800 combined win percentage for those two teams would be the highest entering a game played on Thanksgiving since 2011. Packers and Lions had an 850 win percentage and the 49ers-Ravens an 800 back in 2011. This game postponed. It was our only good Thanksgiving game and now we're left with trash. So I'm friend zoning 
All of that. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. My favorite video is back. That means it's Thanksgiving. It's Thanksgiving Eve, in fact. We got lots of Thanksgiving debates to get to. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz filling in for Chanae Angola Jr. on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. Chanae Angola Jr. reminding you that Peyton's Places is back for season two. The Emmy-nominated series returns this Sunday, November 29th, with 15 new episodes as Manning takes you on a journey through football's most iconic moments, exclusively on ESPN+. Sign up now at ESPNplus.com. Fitz, before we get into this Thanksgiving stuff, a quick update on Steelers-Ravens that you had uh, 1 p.m. Sunday? Yeah, so it looks like the game will be on one p- at 1 p.m. on Sunday, and as a result of that decision, uh, Collinsworth and, uh, and Al Michaels will still call it, and now uh, Tariko and Tony Jun- Dungy will handle the call on the Sunday night game. So both games will still be on NBC, and uh, they'll get that all figured out for us. Hmm. So Which is only silver like, lining of having something to watch Sunday night that's better than when my Bears get thrashed by the Packers has been foiled. Well, and like there were already like six or seven games at one o'clock. Like I, I know the NFL does this for smart reasons, but I always scratch my head when there's like 87 games early and then two games at four yeah, o'clock. Like yeah, it's just it's, the worst yeah. as a Raiders fan when you sit in the bar and you're like oh, back when we were in sports bars and you're sitting in a sports bar and then you're like, yeah, I watched all the early games. Now let's all watch my uh, everybody two left. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 2020 strikes again as that Steelers-Ravens <laughs> game was going to be the highlight of tomorrow's slate. Instead, we get Washington football team, the WTFs and the Cowboys, and we get the Lions and Texans. So we asked you if the Thanksgiving, the main dish was the game that we're no longer getting. What are the struggle sides that represent the two games we are getting tomorrow? And you guys had some really good answers. You wanted to be a part of the Chanae and Golick Jr. Nation hitting us up on the Dr. Pepper Twitter feed was at jdizzle635. Washington, Dallas is the burnt dressing that Aunt Linda dropped cigarette ashes in. Houston, Detroit is a plate of deviled eggs that's been sitting at room temperature for eight hours. No, deviled eggs. Nailed it. Like deviled eggs suddenly sound very good. Ugh. Like that wasn't on no, my thank plan, you. but now oh, I can only do omelets and scrambled. I can't do anything where the white and the yellow part are separate or like not cooked or like. Ugh. No, thank you. At G H Shade said, "Lumpy mashed potatoes and watery gravy. Those are absolutely the sides that those games are." At uh, J R Z Browns fan shook our world, Fitz, with the photo that he presented of something that appeared to be. Beans and peaches. <laughs> I don't know what would drive someone to combine beans and peaches in a lumpy, coagulated mess, but that was what we got, and I feel like that's what we're getting tomorrow. I also, by the way, like I kind of blame the entire family for this one. Like somebody right. owes it to them. Like at some point, you got to go in and say, "Hey, this, this, this doesn't work, and we're mm-hmm. not going to do it anymore. It's no longer a family tradition." <laughs> that's right. You have sullied our beautiful table with. <laughs> Whatever this is, and you're going to have to go ahead and take that and yourself home. I just keep imagining what you done like, like Michael Scott in the office just screaming, no, the minute it no, gets to the plate. Exactly. It's over and over again. Absolutely. Uh, meanwhile, we had we had uh, what we consider about the top five Thanksgiving debates. Notice one of them is not, is gravy a side or a condiment slash sauce? Because everyone knows it's a sauce it's a and side. not a side dish. A side. So when Jason Fitz puts it at his number one Thanksgiving side on his ranking show, uh, we have nothing to do but shake our heads at the stupidity. And then you did say that tomorrow you were going to 
post a video of you drinking your gravy? Yeah, I'm just, no, I'm just going to eat it with the spoon. I'm going to eat okay. it with a spoon. Yeah, like I prefer because, if you drink it. I mean, but I will allow it. If, if I drink just... it, then it's a drink, but it's a side. <laughs> I mean, I, like I said to you on air, when you go into Kentucky Fried Chicken, you order a side of gravy. Okay. So you know, can we can we find a compromise and you eat it with a fork? Because I'd like to watch that. Yeah, whole, I can eat it with a whole fork. bowl of gravy. Oh, Let's man. see how long it takes you with the fork. Well, I don't eat the whole bowl <laughs> of mashed potatoes. So, but I will eat a a more than more than you know appropriate amount of it. Yeah, yeah. All right, well, I'll tell you what you say about that. Leftovers are for quitters. So I don't know <laughs> why you wouldn't eat the whole bowl of mashed potatoes. That's it's Chanae Golick Jr., Sarah Spain, uh, Jason Fitz. Fill in. Here's the top debates that we did tackle, and you guys helped us out on Twitter. Uh, do you call it stuffing or dressing? 85% of you said stuffing. Many of you pointed out what we said, which is it depends whether you stuff it in the bird or not. Either way, no matter how you cook it, I'm always calling it stuffing, not dressing. Dressing is the uh, animated ranch dressing that someone put lounging in our timeline. That <laughs> that to me, like, I, <laughs> I want to know if that was actually Mike Golick Jr. in a costume at a photo shoot because it has that sort of yeah. gojo feel to it. I mean, it I'm, really I'm all does. over that, yeah. That might be his Halloween. Or, or it has a little bit of uh, bring it on down to Omelette Bell. It had a little <laughs> bit of that vibe too jay uh, we might be seeing justin timberlake dressed as that ranch bottle in a future episode of snl uh do you call them sweet potatoes or yams 88 percent of you said sweet potatoes 12 percent said yams one of you said they're different things and i'm so sorry but that is not the case yams and what you call yams are actually a part of the sweet potato family uh sorry to break that to you if you were unaware uh but 88 percent of you are right in calling them all sweet potatoes Cranberry sauce, canned or from scratch, many of you said in the trash, which I agree with, but 60% of you said canned if you're going to eat it, which is wild. I mean, it's if you're going to eat it, you don't want it to be lumpy, right? Like, if you get the real kind, then it's got, like, you got to chew it. I'd rather have a lumpy from scratch than whatever the that coagulated mess is. It's just, the the, again, you open the can, you wiggle, you jiggle, Ugh, flops out, no, and then you just you. suck it on down. I hate all of what you just said. Thank you. Actually, that reminds me. I don't know if we have the sound, but uh, guys, let me know if we have the sound of Chanae and Golick Jr. attempting to have a conversation about uh, white versus dark meat. I, 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 you know what? I, I might blindly be hitting this. Do we have that? I, I don't know. I'm going to get a thumbs up or a thumbs down. We're going to try this. Trying to wait for outside forces to bail us out is kind of how I feel like the sports calendar is going. Nope, that's it. That's the wrong that's one. That's not it. Okay. All right, all right. Well, how about do we do we have our conversation about tree girth? Because that approached some weird territory oh, as well. God. It's not, not proud of that. Okay, yes, that we do have, and that that is this. <laughs> the better shape for a Christmas tree. Is it tall and skinny or tall and girthy? And, mm-hmm. uh... A brilliant 89% of you are wise enough to know tall and girthy. Uh, at KM Woodkey said, LMAO, what are you doing to me? Uh, she was one of many that thought perhaps we weren't talking about trees. We were talking about trees. We were. Huh. We were talking about trees in Chenangle Jr. We're talking about turkey meat. That's <laughs> it. That's it. And Fitz is talking about cans that's... of cranberry sauce. Uh, turkey or ham for your Thanksgiving main, 80.5% of you said turkey. Very wise. Ham is for Christmas. And the pies, I'm still ashamed. Uh, 41% said pumpkin, 33 said apple, 25 said pecan slash pecan. And many of you chastised me for being white and from the north and not being aware that I should very clearly have sweet potato pie. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and venture out this weekend. I'm going to find some. I'm going to ta- have it. I'm going to tell you how it is. And my apologies, my deepest apologies. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Spain and Jason Fitz filling in for Chanae and Golick Jr. on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus on Thanksgiving Eve. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. 
And joining us now on the Shell Penzel performance line, my old buddy, former NHL player turned figure skater for the show Battle of the Blades, Christopher Stieg. Steger, what's going on? Oh, not much. Just uh, getting ready for the finale tomorrow night. As you've nice. seen, my uh, my skating ability has changed over the years, but <laughs> all in all, it's still the same thing. Well, wait, it's not the same at all. But, well, it's uh, a little it's different. Been, yeah, you got that. Fun. You got the toe pick. Uh, for those who don't remember Christopher Steak, he's, of course, a Stanley Cup champ with the Blackhawks. That's where I best knew him. Uh, and when he was a rookie, he established himself as far more uh, uh, than just a skater with this little magic in the uh, in the locker room. I well, I don't have it here. So oh, hold you on. don't have it. That's, okay. I do. Oh. I do. Hold on one second. Okay. I just didn't remember that I had to press the button. You know, Sarah, I'm barely a professional <laughs> here. So you know, there we go. Here I got it. Of course, I got to keep enough lettuce to support just your fetish lifestyle. So rich and famous, Robin Leach will get jealous. Take a ha- half a million for that stone. Taking trips from here to Rome. But if you ain't got no money, take that broke home. Ah, uh, yes, the beginning of Christopher Stieg's rap career, which ended up on the podium for a Stanley Cup parade on the Jumbotron, and now figure skating. Uh, you're a man of many talents, Chris. Sarah, you brought that all out of me. There was multiple times where uh, you walked in the room and I knew I had to entertain and perform. So thank you for that. And now I have children and they're going to be able to see me for years to come on YouTube. But yeah, entertainment <laughs> is is a whole other business. Obviously, you've been doing it for a long time. and um, being able to do that is it's not an easy thing and now doing it through figure skating has been a whole other world for me and seeing how much dedication actually these athletes put into it you you got to be able to skate you got to be able to act you got to be able to perform you got to be able to do it well so it's just been an eye opener and this figure skating has uh, really been one for me so tell me like what the moment is like chris because we've heard so many stories of people when they get called to do things like dancing with the stars well battle of the blades sarah introduced me to and now i'm I'm, I'm infatuated with it so (laughs) you get the call and they're asking you to do the show what was your reaction hell no first time they (laughs) called me colby armstrong i was like no way i am not doing this and then he called back two weeks later and uh, everything was kind of shut down i noticed and you didn't really know what was going to happen it was after the hockey season you didn't know uh, if i was going to be working with sportsnet yet or what i was going to be doing Uh, so it looked like a good opportunity maybe to do something during the time and and as the months kept going on uh, talking with the heads of the show show sandra bezik she kind of explained it to me more and more it also seemed like a good opportunity for me to do to, to do something with my time, but mainly to raise awareness for uh, an Indigenous charity that I've been a part of that's in my hometown. So raise some money for them and, and also learn to figure skate and kind of dip your toes into a, a new world. Former NHL or former Blackhawks Stanley Cup champ Chris Versteeg is on Battle of the Blades. The finale is tomorrow because uh, there is no Thanksgiving in Canada. So you guys are not, uh, you know, there, there, there will be a, 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 an opening for you guys to still be competing on that holiday. Um, we were just, Fitz just mentioned Dancing with the Stars. The thing that struck me first about this is Dancing with the Stars is not that dangerous. Like they pick each other up occasionally, but you're not falling that far. If you're practicing some of these moves where you're, twirling a girl by her feet and throwing her and everything else you could really get injured how much safety is taken into account how are you practicing these moves do you do them first off the ice how does that work yeah you know that's funny you're talking about uh, the dancing because uh, i've been watching that dancing with the stars just to kind of understand it it started a little bit before our show and i was like man this is way safer than what yeah. we're doing. <laughs> like way safer so so they they bring us into this little uh week where we learn lifts and things like that and the first time 
uh, we get there, they're, they're already throwing people up above their heads, showing us lifts. So a lot of it comes off the ice, especially the first three weeks. It's an hour off the ice and three to four hours on the ice each and every day, learning how to lift and, and learning new edge work as well. Because again, skating on hockey skates, you're always on your toes and you're always on two edges. Figure skates, you're on your heels and you're on one edge. So it's completely different. It's almost like walking on the moon. It's so much different. So <laughs> um, for us then to be able to lift a human, where me, I was like, when I played, I was 190. I'm 160 now. Yeah, you're you know, a wee little lad lighter. now. Yeah, you're slim. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, there's no way I'm going to be picking anyone up. She's going to be picking me up. Um, so that was a little bit what I was worried about coming into this. But then after it all went on, uh, the three weeks went by, I realized I can lift. I wasn't sure how well I could do it. But you're right. The, the tricks each and every week kept getting amped up. And all of a sudden, she's like, I need to do a headbanger. It's where you hold her by the feet and you whip her around. It's like a half iron lotus. And I was like, there's yes. just no way I can do that. <laughs> Uh, and she kept saying, you can do it, you can do it. And, you know, we ended up doing it at the end of our routine last week, which for me still thinking about it, uh, it, it is scary. So, I just shared a video of that on Twitter for people who want to check it out. If I, if I gave you both, you and your partner, True Serum, the real answer, who's more nervous in that moment, the person that's never done the trick before <laughs> or the person that's having to ask you to do the trick for the first time and their head's that close to the ice? I'm telling you, they have no fear. They have no wow. fear. If I was looking at a guy like me wearing jeans on the ice performing <laughs> and, and spinning around, I would be scared. And she, if you actually look at the picture, there's a picture on my Instagram. She looks so calm. I'm like, there's just no way <laughs> I would feel like that. I, like, I learned it on Monday and I did it on a Thursday. Wow. You know what I mean? There's just, yeah. there's, or Friday. So it's like there's just no way to be that calm but even first week I get there first time I get around her all of a sudden she's like okay lift me up I'm like lift you up all right then we get on the ice she's like okay let's try that on the ice I'm like I met you like two hours ago <laughs> you want me to lift you on the ice in figure skates I just fell three times on my toe pick so it was it was it was crazy that what they were allowing us to do but again it's a testament to the sport and and how dedicated they are and how trusting they are because they definitely have to be able to be pair skaters for that long yeah, you um you mentioned the Iron Lotus. That's that's uh that's the more recent reference. The original is the Cutting Edge with the Pemchenko twist, where first you you, you headbang her, and then once you once you throw her in there, you catch her, which has never actually happened, but it did happen in the Cutting Edge. So we're all holding out hope that one day that'll happen. And this show is basically the Cutting Edge. You put the NHL player with the figure skater, and you see what happened. Uh, we're out of time here, uh, and you didn't even get to trash talk Brian Bickle, your former teammate who you defeated. He did not make the finale, and you did. Uh, but I guess the trash talk comes uh, from the product on the ice. Versteeg, thanks so much for coming on with us, and I can't wait to see the highlights from tomorrow's finale. Good luck. Amazing. Thanks for having me on, guys. Uh, I'm so glad you love that too, Fitz. Oh, my God. I'm like, so glad I, you're into it. I'm all in on this. And, like, you know, uh, tomorrow morning I'm doing a phoner with our friends in Toronto. I'm, to I'm going to spend the whole time talking about this. This is all. We're, we're going to talk about this the entire time because I'm all in on it. Well, I think my favorite part is, of course, that, you know, you actually can watch all the uh, all the highlights. Like, we can't get that channel here in the States, but the, the Instagram has full routines <sighs> so we can catch ourselves up. I love it. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.